Welcome to the Being Human podcast. Delighted to welcome Sally McCutcheon to the show. Welcome. Morning. <laughs> so, Sally, you've had a stellar career at Flight Centre UK, uh, which is a big uh, travel opera, travel agency operator in the UK. Um, you had a stellar career there, and be- over two years, you you grew the the turnover. Of, well. You contributed to growing the turnover from 50 to 70 million pounds, and you developed uh, an authentic leadership and peer to peer learning program there. Uh, you left in 2014. You've gone on to develop yourself in many ways, and, uh, which includes becoming one of only two certified holacracy uh, coaches in the UK, uh, and you're part of the Creative Consciousness Coaching Academy, which brings in insights to individuals and organizations seeking to move towards Teal, which perhaps we can get onto for those who don't know that. Um, so Holacracy, Teal, and a, off the back of a, a stellar career in an industry. Is that about right? Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> and also a, a former podcaster yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure, you know, soon to be podcaster again, but yeah, for, for, for now, former podcaster, yeah. Right. Um, so I've definitely, I've had people ask me about Holacracy before and what it's all about. And I, that I'm, I'm guessing they're going to be people on, in our audience who are very interested in that. So should we, should we start there? Why, what we mean by Holacracy and, and get into it a little bit and then perhaps how you came to it? Yeah. So Holacracy is a method of self-management. Um, so self-management being a, a, a sort of a management methodology, if you like, and there are various ways that you can practice self-management within your, within your organisation, um, and holacracy is one of those ways. Um, holacracy itself, for me, is one of the most sort of mature and one of the most developed off-the-shelf systems of self-management. Um, a lot of the other methodologies are either not as well developed in my view or have been sort of developed bespoke sort of specific within an organization so an organization will find their own method of self management um, and so yeah so holacracy is a real off the shelf um, method of self management it involves um, creating roles instead of having job titles it involves having two specific meeting processes called the tactical and governance meeting um, that are specifically designed to support the practice of of self-management and get things done within the organization Um, and there's a real um Oh, I'm sure your listeners will have read. There's there's so much online about holacracy. Um, there are the lovers and the haters. Um, so there's a lot of mixed reports that you know holacracy is too rigid. Um, you know, there's reports, particularly in the states, of people leaving companies when their companies have adopted holacracy. So there's there's a lot of mixed reports. But for me, it's sort of the go-to starting point. For self-management because it provides a, a sort of a real toolkit of, of new ways of doing things when you want to shift away from the traditional hierarchical structure. Okay and so you mentioned there you talked about the shift from, from job titles to roles and you talked about these specific types of meetings. What are the big chunky things that 
companies have to take on to move in in this direction that, that, that are going to feel very different for companies well the biggest chunkiest thing is nothing to do with the actual holacracy processes it's the mindset shift like that by far is the biggest <laughs> chunkiest most potentially most challenging thing that a company needs to know about not necessarily when it's shifting to self-management to, to holacracy in general but just but to, to self-management as a practice because it involves um a real change in how things are done within a business and how things are done within businesses you know by and large i think that i think the landscape is really shifting quite a lot at the moment but by and large the way things that are, are the way things are done within an organization has been the same or very similar for decades um so so that's that's the biggest thing i think is the mindset shift and what does that look like what? um it looks like having a mirror held up to how you think and behave within your business and for you to consider um, or for you to being to be invited to become more consciously aware of your own thought processes thought processes and behaviors um, and how they impact the team how they're impacting yourself um, and 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 what do you want to do about that like there's there's nothing necessarily um enforced in terms of forcing you to change but it but it's it's a mirror and it's an invitation to to doing things differently right and so so is that is that the essence of the mindset shift it's be, what becoming reflective or is it something like that yeah the mindset shift i mean certainly there's a there's an invitation to just become much more consciously aware of yourself um and that is probably the biggest barrier because that can be very challenging and very difficult um but you know to get into more of the specifics one of the things that holacracy invites you to do is to let go of anything that doesn't concern your specific roles now, for someone that likes to be a part of, of everything that's going on, um, or, you know, in other words, meddle <laughs> in loads of different things, um, that can be extremely challenging. Um, and Holacracy doesn't necessarily say you can't do that, you, that you can't be involved in other things. Um, but it certainly invites you not to be and to and to really focus in on the purpose of your specific roles that that you hold within that business and let go of anything else um so i'm i'm sure for a lot of people myself included like for a lot of your listeners that would be like oh you know what do you mean like like that in itself for for a number of people particularly the types of people that often end up being leaders within an organization that can be extremely challenging Right. And did you, have you had first-hand experience of this? Of practicing self-management? Well, and of this shift or of this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I, um, I worked in a holacracy organisation called Evolving Organisation for about a year. That was in my early days and that was my sort of training ground really for holacracy. 
Um, so I was energizing roles and, um, you know, living the um, meeting processes and working with others that were doing the same and um, observing what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it, and, and also um, interacting with others that were experiencing it for the first time and, and seeing what challenges it raised within them, within them as well. Um, and then since then, I mean, I... And what was that like? So what was that like that you, and so first of all, what, what the hell, to, what does energizing role mean? That's going to sound a bit woo woo, I think, to some people. Energi <laughs> energizing role is basically having a role. So, so where you would you have a job title in a business, um, instead of it being a job title, you're going to have a sort of a portfolio of roles. Um, and energizing the role is just a, a term that we use to describe how you engage and act in those roles. So basically, it's how you do your job. Okay. And how's that different from like a job description then? Um, well, it's not different in terms of what you're going to be doing. What's different is um, when you've got a portfolio of roles, the, the first thing that Holacracy says is that a role must have either a really clearly defined purpose or it must have an accountability at least one accountability and an accountability is an ongoing task that another role can expect you to do. So amongst your portfolio of roles, you've got a really clearly defined either, either purpose that lets you really understand why this role exists and, or you've got a set of account accountabilities. So it's, again, it's really clearly defined as to what is expected of you. Now, one of the main differences within a holacracy, if you compare that to a job title, a job, job titles and job descriptions might be reviewed, I don't know, once every six months or probably more like once every year and then put into a drawer um, or cupboard and they're probably outdated within a week. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's probably not something that you refer to on a daily basis to help you do the best in your job. Um, it's more like a sort of a theoretical activity that, you know, that, ha that happens once in a while within the organisation. Whereas with these job roles, they, are, they, they form part of the live governance records of your organisation. Um, and what that means is that in a governance meeting, they can be changed. They might be changed on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. You know, they might not be changed for six months, but the, the point is they're a live record of what is actually happening and, and what, you're, what you are doing within your business. And if you want to change that or if another role wants to change that because they want to expect something different of a role that you hold, that can be done within the governance meeting. So it's a much, it's a much more sort of live and organic way of working with a description of, of the, the purpose of the roles that you hold and what is expected of you. Okay. And yeah, and, and then back to your experience of it then. So working in, in evolving organisations, how, yeah, what, what were the challenge to, to you psychologically in taking that on? Um, I mean, I loved it. I have, I have to say, for, for me, it was what convinced me that I wanted to become a, a, a holacracy coach and what convinced me that this was something that I felt a lot of organisations would benefit from. So I loved the clarity um, that that was incredible to me. And I loved the ability 
to get more clear, you know, if I needed. So if one of, if, if a role that I was holding needed another role to do something, um, okay, yeah, I could just go and ask them to do it. And, and maybe that would work and maybe it wouldn't. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it, it's absolutely an option that you can just do that. Um, but then as a sort of a backup to that, you've also got this governance meeting process whereby I could check on that role. Okay. Is, is what I need from them listed as one of their accountabilities? Cause if it is, I can expect them to do it. If it isn't, it's very much up to that person to look at the purpose of their role and make a decision as to whether it makes sense for from, from, from their role, from their unique perspective within the organization for them to do it. Um, and so what the governance meeting process does is it enables me an opportunity to say, I, I, I would like this accountability to be added onto this role because I want to be able to expect it. Um, and that, that clarity for me was just incredible. The, the meeting processes as well, I don't know about you, but you know, I've sat in too many ineffective meetings like management meetings right where I've come out more frustrated and confused and sort of overwhelmed or overloaded than than when I've gone in um, and you know decisions haven't been made or decisions have been made without me feeling like I had an input or a voice you know just oh, a, a world of problems right around around um, meetings and so to experience these very, they're very dis disciplined processes, the tactical and governance meetings. Um, and that in itself can be uncomfortable. And I remember the first one or two that I ever experienced. And I was like, oh, well, this just feels awkward. I feel like the facilitator is being like a school teacher. And I, you know, now I can talk, now I can't. It just, it felt really sort of stayed um just just not warm or engaging in any way um but as i got used to it you understand what the process is oh and then it's just like yes <laughs> thank you you know thank you that like there is there is a meeting that i can step into and i know that by the end of it i'll have got what i need mm -hmm. i mean brilliant right yeah um, exactly so, so yeah, so the meeting processes um, were, were great for me as well. I saw the quote in a book that said that, that one guy was reporting, having moved to Holacracy, that it done 33 agenda items in 55 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had an example at Evolving Organisation. We had a, a, a really, really challenging, what would ordinarily be called an HR issue. Um, and we went in, we, ha we had a tactical meeting and... Oh, I don't, I don't know how long this meeting would have been if we didn't have the tactical meeting processes. It was, it was not just um, sort of difficult from an HR perspective, but as often is the case with HR sort of issues, there's a lot of emotions evolve, involved as well. So, you know, you're dealing with sort of a, a, a tricky challenge and all of the, with all of the emotions that are layering in on that. Um, I think, you know, this meeting could have easily have lasted all day without the tactical meeting processes. Um, and we used the tactical meeting and I don't know, it was about an hour, something like that, maybe an hour 15, I don't remember exactly. But we were just dealing with one tension at a time 
um, attention being something that you need to get resolved, right? The, the, the actual definition of attention is um, a gap between what is and what could be. And, and effectively what that means is, okay, I, you know, I, I, I need something. I either need information or I need to ch share something or I need to get something resolved um, in order to feel more comfortable in my role or more comfortable as a human being in this organisation. And we just went through it one tension at a time. And as we were getting through them, there was more that was surfacing. So, you know, more tensions were getting added. But when you handle a tension in a tactical meeting, you focus on the person that has the tension and you ask them, what do you need? And you don't move on from that agenda item until that person has got what they need. And that's, that's a triaging process. So that person might need a conversation with someone else, right? So you're not necessarily having the conversation there, but you're identifying this conversation is needed and let's note that. And, and acknowledge that this conversation is going to happen at, at a later date. Um, so it's just identifying the next step to, to move you forward. And, and it, was, it was an extraordinary um, example of how the tactical meeting process is like, first of all, save, save you hours and hours of time. But second of all, just, just amplify the um, efficacy of that meeting in terms of the, the people involved getting what they need. Right. So just, just for people, it might be useful then to use that example to step people through then. So there's this HR issue, somebody has a need, it gets added to like an agenda. And yeah. The, so just talk people through built. it using that example, that might be useful. Yeah, so the agenda gets built on the fly. So you don't, you don't set the agenda in advance. The idea being that whatever is a live tension in that moment gets dealt with. Like we might create an agenda last week um, or, you know, or, or yesterday, a couple of days ago, but it doesn't necessarily mean that these are the things that need to be addressed in this meeting here and now. So um, we build the agenda at the start of the meeting. Um, you start off with a check-in process. Um, which, you know, if your listeners aren't familiar, um, I, I, I see this happening more and more often nowadays, even if you're not practicing holacracy, some organizations use the check-in. And it's just an opportunity. Everyone in the meeting space says whatever they need to say, just to kind of call out any distractions, share anything with the group, um, and just sort of get focused and, and get present for that meeting. So that happens one at a time. There's no crosstalk. You know, when, when you have your time to do your check-in, that is carved out space for you without receiving any judgment, any reaction, any input from anyone else in that room. Um, so we do the check-in and then there is a series of sort of three processes that's called the preamble. And that's where um, any checklist metrics or, or project updates are shared with the group. Um, and then we go into triage. So then the, the agenda is built. So if I had a, a, a need to share something with the team about this HR issue, for example, I would put something on the agenda and it, it would probably be something, you know, so going back to this particular challenge, my, my opening need would probably just to share something about what happened. Um, and then as, as that process developed, because I would get, get what I need in terms of having the opportunity to share information with the rest of the team. 
Um, and then, you know, someone else might have a need to share something from their perspective and that would be their carved out time, right? So they don't have to interrupt or, you know, find a way of layering their opinion onto what I, what I'm saying. I get space to say what I need to say. And when I've got what I need, the facilitator would move on to their agenda item and that's their, their carved out space to say what they need to say. Right. And then off the back of that, you know, if, if, you know, with this kind of HR challenge, it then might be, okay, I, I, now I have a need to change something in, in our policies, you know, in the way things are done within the organization off the back of this um, um, challenge. Um, and, and each of those can be added to the agenda. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm asked at the start of each agenda item, what do I need? And I, we don't move on until I can, I say, yeah, I've got what I need. Okay. And see, that sounds, that sounds almost like a contradiction then that we could get through 33 agenda items in 55 minutes if we're exhaustively seeking to meet everybody's needs. So presumably this takes time to build up a facility and um, to, to get yeah. that level of efficacy, as you said. Yeah, I mean, 33 agenda items in 55 minutes. I mean, there's, there's examples of things happening a lot quicker than that even. So it depends on the slickness of the process. And bear in mind, like what we're looking for, like this is a triage, right? So we're looking for the next step of getting what you need. We're not necessarily, um, well, yeah, like my previous example, you know, I might need to have a conversation with another role um, about something. And we're not having that conversation um, in that meeting. We're identifying that I need a conversation. We're checking with the other role that they're happy with that too. And we're noting um, a next action to organize for, for either one of us to organize that conversation to happen so it's identifying the next step to getting what i need okay and that's why it can move quite quickly it can move very quickly yeah an right. agenda item can be 30 seconds um it's you know something more complex might be two minutes i would say if if an agenda item is going on longer than three or four minutes then you probably need to look at, um, yeah, I'm opening a bit of a Pandora's box here, but, you know, the idea is that, that an agenda item probably wouldn't go on for that long because of this idea that we're triaging and identifying next steps. Right. And I suppose that's, and these long discussions within meetings where people kind of hog the stage almost that that can be why a meetings can take like so long right it's, yeah yeah um, and this is a process to get people very quickly to okay what's the next step yeah because the process is facilitated um so you know first of all the process is predefined so everyone knows exactly what the process is but also the process is held by a facilitator and the facilitator's job is not to support the people in the room. The facilitator's job is to support the process and make sure that the process is being adhered to. So, yeah, you know, your example of someone um, 
sort of hog, hogging the space or, you know, have, having the most dominant voice in the room and, and, and therefore being the one that speaks the most, um, that is far less likely to happen. Um, because someone else is able to put something onto the agenda and the facilitator makes sure that they are the focus in their, during their agenda item. Mm. And I did, so I did one of your workshops where we simulated this and what it felt to me like was very much like being in a sports game where you have like a referee and the facilitator is more like a referee. Yeah, exactly. I don't care about my feelings and they're not yeah. trying to help me get towards some outcome. Yeah. They're just like, no, these are the rules. Yeah. And it, yeah. And I actually loved it. And but another yeah. other people, in fact, probably at least half of the people in that workshop were like, oh no, you know, this is weird. It feels very dehumanizing. Yeah. Oh no, I don't think I'd want to do it. it was there was quite a negative reaction from probably at least half the participants, which I thought was interesting because I actually found it just really fun. Yeah, I think that's a really nice analogy. It is like having a referee. And you know, if you imagine trying to play a sport without the rules and without a referee then, you know, it would be chaos. Um, you know, another analogy I do is, okay, imagine trying to get from A to B in your car without knowing that you have to follow the rules of the road. You know, the rules of, of the road are there to get you from A to B smoothly. If we didn't have those rules whereby, you know, you drive on this side and the person going that way drives on that, you know, the other side. And, you know, when there's this mark on the road, you have to stop. And, you know, if there's lights, you have to do what they say, you know, all that sort of stuff. If we didn't have any of that, trying to get anywhere would be complete chaos. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in that situation, there isn't even a facilitator, right? You know, that you, mm. you just know that you have to follow. And, okay, yeah, you know, you might get a speeding ticket or, you know, so there are checks and balances there. But fundamentally, everyone knows that these are the rules. And by and large, people, people follow them because they know that it's in their benefit. And presumably that happens over time as people get better at knowing the rules, it requires less intervention from the ref. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a story of, a, of, you know, a meeting process um, that I think Brian Robertson was watching or some, yeah. Something. Brian Robertson, Robertson's the founder of all. Of, of he is, yeah, yeah, of Holacracy and Holacracy One, which is the organisation in the States that sort of owns and, and licences Holacracy. Um, and, and yeah, he, sh he shares a story of, of a facilitator just having to say nothing in the whole meeting because the, the, the process just flows and everyone understands it so well. Mm. So back to this question of, of your experience of it. So did, were, there, were there any sort of frustrations or, or negative re reactions you had as you, as you adjusted? Um, well, yeah, I mean, like I said, certainly the first couple of meetings felt quite awkward. Um, I think probably the other challenge is it w was just um, around I guess the best way to describe it, it was it was just around the sort of the the psychological shift of, of everyone adjusting to this new way of doing things within the organization so for example I held um, the role of lead link of one of our main um, circles. So um, circle being sort of team basically, and lead link being one of the roles that sort of replaces the management function, um, except it's very definitely not a management role. Um, and so I was in the lead link role and it was sort of, you know, 
obviously I was adjusting to what I can and can't do because this isn't a management role, but it, but it does have sort of a similar functionality to a certain extent. So I was adjusting to that, but also the other role holders within that circle team also had to adjust. Um, and, you know, some people carry, um, you know, their, their you know, previous experiences, good or bad, of, of working with a manager. You know, you carry those sorts of experiences with you, right? Um, and so, you know, ad- adapting to working with a lead link instead of working with a manager was, was one of the challenging aspects. So, you know, everyone getting used to what are the boundaries of this new role that's called lead link and how does it differ from being a manager? Um, and that's why, you know, at the, at the start, you know, the, the sort of the biggest chunkiest thing that, a, that an organization needs to know before, before entertaining self-management or holacracy um, is, is the mindset shifts and, and, and the learning curve. And that can be really bumpy, right? Learning, you know, re- remember when you got into the car for the first time with your first ever driving lesson, you know, you, you, you know what it's like to be in a car and, and being in a car has always felt just really smooth and easily easy, but now you're behind the wheel and you've got control of everything. Gosh, like that's, that's a big learning curve. And I suppose it's, it's quite similar in a shift to self-management. It, it can feel really clunky and, and bumpy at the start. And is there a specific moment you can think of as, as lead link where you were like, this, this feels weird or, or, or you felt uncomfortable? Um, I do remember something and I remember um, sort of writing a post. We used Yammer. Um, at the time as our sort of team communication and I remember writing quite a long post on there around um, transparency and and what I see as my role as lead link and how that differs to being a manager and how as a lead link my expectation is that everyone fully steps into their duty to process tensions because like one of one of the differences between a manager and a lead link is that the manager can often be expected to be a bit of a superhero within the team and sort of solve other people's problems you know t- take on some of the um meteor challenges and, and sort of fix them on behalf of the team um and that is very much not a lead link accountability everyone within a holacracy organization and it's actually written in the constitution um everyone has a duty to process their own tensions so so i sort of i remember writing this post just saying you know this these these are my tensions and this is how i'm um resolving these tensions and I'm, I'm encouraging you all to step into your roles and your duty to, to process tensions um, because, because, I, because I wasn't a manager, right? That, that wasn't my role. Um, and, I, and I wasn't going to be that sort of superhero, um, you, know, f- you know, fixing things. You know, my, my expectation is that everyone steps up um, right. to, to, their, to their sort of responsibilities. And was that born of a frustration? Were you sensing people not, not, not bringing tensions to, to the meetings? Is that a sort of way of shirking in a 
Well, I mean, I guess I must have, I must have done it for that. I mean, we're talking like maybe sort of three and a half, four years ago now. Um, and I can't remember exactly what triggered it, but I do remember writing this post and I guess it, I guess I, I, I must have had some kind of tension around wanting to make it clear that I wasn't going to step into the normal management, um, a, a manager expectations and 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 i wanted to use some whatever the situation was i wanted to use it as an opportunity to to define um yeah to to define roles and to and to to bring clarity and transparency to what was happening mm. I, it reminds me of something i read in the book about what so you, I mean, i'm not super familiar with it but there's a there's a secretary role is there within a circle or yeah and 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 the example was as this was of this secretary who had the authority to choose when the regular meetings happen, and she brought as yeah. attention to the meeting. Oh, should it be you know every month or a proposal to the meeting? Yeah. Um, the proposal was let's do this every I think it's every other Monday, and the facilitator was like, you don't have to bring that proposal. Like you you've got the accountability to just choose. And if somebody's got a tension about it, they can bring the tension. But in the first instance, it's written in your role, you can just do it. And that was something that this person found difficult to to own, right? To take actually to 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 assume authority. Yeah, yeah. That can be one of the challenges for sure. And um, and I don't know how familiar you are with spiral dynamics, but um, you know, I've seen cases of organizations that fall quite heavily into the green category um that is quite sort of consensus it's very people orientated and decisions decisions tend to be quite consensus driven um and and that's often the reason why sort of organizations that find themselves in this green phase why they turn to holacracy because consensus decision making that you know there's nothing that's going to slow you down more (laughs) in an organization than consensus decision making um, especially as you grow, um, which which many organisations want to do, and so that can be one of the most challenging things is sort of understanding. Okay, we, now we've got this process in place, but adjusting to the fact that I or another role might have sole accountability to make this one decision, and. And, and, and people just aren't used to that. They, they are more used to being able to socialise their, their viewpoints and get the viewpoints of others and have a desire to kind of keep everyone happy and incorporate everyone's ideas and viewpoints into this decision. But like I said, nothing's going to slow you down more. Um, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, I think organizations that come to holacracy from that sort of green spiral dynamics phase can, can struggle with that particularly. And coming, you know, coming to holacracy, if you're more of an orange organization, has its own unique challenges too. Um, but yeah, What's that, orange that's for people who aren't, who aren't familiar. Um, well, orange is the more, um, I suppose, slightly more individualistic um phase um you know being um very sort of status driven um it's all about sort of success um whereas the 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 green is much more of a community-based phase um 
the book, I mean, Reinventing Organisations is, is, is by Frederick Leloux, is, is, um, references this idea that is based on spiral dynamics. So, you know, yeah, Reinventing Organisations or Spiral Dynamics is the go-to place to, to read up more about these different phases and what they mean. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the other thing that I think is, is perhaps useful to understand as well, which sort of tips into a theme that um, we've had on the show a lot from people who talk about, as well as this facilitated process, which is very much about adhering to the process, not about looking after people, is this idea of visual management, right? That's also part of the meetings piece. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, um, well, I was listening to one of your previous episodes and they were referencing this sort of the, these visual aids a lot. Um, and I mean, I suppose Holacracy's version is um, of, of that sort of visualisation of everything, you know, the, the, the governance, the rules, the, the, the rules, the roles um, of the business they all appear in a, a piece of software. So they, they, well, they don't have to appear in a piece of software, but they need to be recorded and they need to be transparent. Um, and nowadays, the best way of doing that is with a piece of software. So Holacracy One created their own version of this, which is called Glass Frog. Um, there are others on the market like Holospirit. Um, and, and basically what that does, it's, it's a piece of software where you can record all of the roles, the circles, all of the accountabilities, any policies, um, all of the purposes, like the purpose of the organisation as a whole, the, you know, the purpose of each individual role. Um, and also it can be a place where um, data can be really transparent as well. So, you know, I mentioned in the tactical meeting, there's this preamble where you go through key pieces of data that the, the whole team need to know about. Um, that can be reached via a link in Glassfrog to, you know, to the relevant spreadsheet or whatever mm. it is for your business. Um, and so, so you have this piece of software with, with first of all, everything is transparent and, and second of all, it's updated live. So when you step into a tactical or governance meeting, you open that meeting up on the software and any changes that you make or any actions that are recorded out of the back of the tactical meeting um are are updated live within your organ organizations um like governance records so it does it does provide a visual obviously you can then go a step further with that which is probably um outside of what holacracy really has a voice on by you know having stickies all over the wall and you know having different and new innovative ways to give peer-to-peer -peer feedback or, or kind of new ideas or say what's cool or uncool or what's working what's not working in your organization like all, all of those things would be ways that you can make how your own business does things unique so it's you know that's all about sort of the culture the specific culture within your business um right. holacracy doesn't tell you how to do that Okay. It's, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have a voice on how you do those things. So there's 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 loads of things that you can introduce culturally within your organisation. Um, but but yeah, the one thing that it does that Holacracy does say is that the governance records of your organisation must be recorded and must be transparent. Mm. And that was cited because I, I know that Medium, the the blogging site, were using Holacracy, and then they said they what dropped it. 
or at least I don't know what extent they dropped it. And but they talked about codifying the governance as they went along as being problematic for them, right? As they were growing. It, it, what do you make of that? Yeah. Um, what do I make of that? I think one of the pieces of um, one of the criticisms of holacracy is that it can it can overshadow what you're actually doing within your business, and that's that's probably one of the criticisms that um, could potentially stand true. I think I think many of the criticisms come from a place of being misinformed or misunderstanding. Um, but but yeah, when I'm working with an organisation, I'm sort of eyes wide open to this as a as a potential challenge. Um, my advice when it comes to governance records is is that less is more. Um, and and I think you know because like like you said about the the simulation in the workshop that that you came to of the meeting process, you, you know you quite enjoyed it and it was almost like a game and it, you know it almost became quite fun. Um, and I and I experienced that evolving organisation as well. And you know I could feel myself, you know, wanting to bring more and more proposals to the to the governance process because you know you want to tweak things and you, and you want your governance records to reflect what's actually happening. And if you're not careful, that can become a full-time job. <laughs> right. And that's, that's exactly what we don't want, right? You so, disappear up your own proverbial to <laughs> your governance rather than looking after customers, let's say, right? That can happen. <laughs> that can happen. Um, and so, so, like I said, the, you know, for me, the point of this is being eyes wide open to it. And I don't see holacracy as being the destination you know for for business management methodology um i see it as being a stepping stone i think it has a lot of really powerful um practices and and lessons within it and i also think that it's not necessarily suitable for some businesses and that also that you might use holacracy for a little while and come out the other side of it um so, yeah, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of exactly what's happening at Medium, but if they found it challenging to, to codify everything that was happening into governance, then I, you know, I, I imagine they've come up with sort of a better, slicker system for them. I think that what Holacracy does offer is, is a really sort of concrete entry point into self-management and that might work fantastically for your organization and you might end up practicing holacracy for the next 10 years or it might be that you just learn from from what holacracy is pointing to and find your own better ways of doing things that suit your organization mm. more yeah it could be that although reading the you know Really, I've not experienced the medium culture, but one of the things they talked about was well, they they need they do need some bosses, right, to do to yeah. do the scaling. And is that is there a case? I don't know. I mean, presumably that's sort of antithetical to the ethos is to say, well, actually, sometimes we do just need somebody who's going to come in and tell people what to do. I mean, what what do you say to that? Um, well, I don't think holacracy is saying that you don't need it. I mean, it's not necessarily in holacracy's message. Um, to to still have 
initiators of ideas or, or, or bosses um, to direct. I mean, what, one of the misconceptions about self-management is that there's no structure to it. And, and that's a misconception. You know, there is, there is a lot of structure and you, you can still have people who take control of certain ideas or projects or who initiate, you know, new innovations within an organisation. Um, and, you know, where, where I've come to with Holacracy, I'm quite interested, um, uh, Tom Nixon and what's the guy's name, Peter Koenig, um, is, the, is the initiator of some really interesting research around source. Um, and I know Tom Nixon quite well, so you know he's. I'm trying he's to get him on the podcast. He's my reference point, yeah, for 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 this work. But it was it was Peter Koenig is is the originator of the research, um, and so I I kind of sort of bring my knowledge and understanding of source to how I sort of practice holacracy and self management, um, and to, and I just sort of use that to recognise. The, the reality that there is always an initiator to a business or a project. Um, and like I said, I don't think holacracy necessarily says that there isn't, but I can also see that um, on, on face value, self-management might seem sort of structureless, bossless. Um, and I, and I, and I, yeah, so I, I sort of, um, I like to think that I blend those two ideas in the way that I practice self-management and support organisations to implement it. Right, but I see there's been two slightly different ideas because I, I could see how having an initiator might be consistent with the holacracy ethos, you know, somebody making a proposal and moving things forward and, and driving things along through the meeting structures. But then the, diff the, the idea of having a boss who is, you know, much more autocratic, perhaps doesn't respect role boundaries, um, is is I suppose less um, less respectful of of people um, in a drive to get something done, um, and that there may be a view that says, well, that's that's a price worth paying to achieve something big and important in the world. And, mm -hmm. I, I think this might be connected to, you know, the evolutionary phase of the business. And, um, you know, holacracy isn't teal. So, you know, teal being this sort of, um, you know, magical place that is, that is sort of portrayed in Frederick Leloux's book, Reinventing Organisations. Um, you know, from a spiral dynamics place, teal is considered to be a second tier of evolution whereby all of the phases before it are described as being first tier and so there's this you know there's quite a large you know community now that is kind of chasing or, or desiring to shift their organizations to teal um, my perspective on that is that that's not an outside job that's an inside job as in inside us as human beings and i don't think you can um, sort of force an organization through the stages just because you want to take an organization to you know you you want your organization to be teal um, so um, you know and, and my point is that holacracy isn't teal you know you can operate using self-management 
at any sort of evolutionary phase of your business and if introducing some you know a, a, some kind of system of, of bosses who do control or you know make decisions I don't know holacracy doesn't tell you that you shouldn't have a role that doesn't make decisions you know without the consideration of xyz I, I i just think it's it's um there's a lot of sort of very intricate considerations that are unique to each organization um and i don't and i don't think um holacracy is necessarily saying that any of that is right or wrong okay okay that's interesting so it's, it's you would see it more as here's a set of processes you could choose to adopt or not without it making a normative claim on how organizations should operate or how leaders should operate with them. yeah to a certain extent i mean a holacracy um holacracy is subject to the influence of the culture of your organization so you know you can you can look at an organization that is very green and how they use holacracy might be very different to another more orange organization or a teal organization um i i i think that's what i'm saying and and the point is that you can't you you can't force an organization to sort of shift into a new evolutionary phase that's that's going to happen predominantly as a result of the work that the leader is doing and and how that influences the the, the rest of the organization um, and for people yeah. not familiar could you could you recap on on teal and what you mean so we've been through our engine green for, for those yeah also orange and green and there's a number of colors previous to that as well um, and they're all considered first tier and and the point of that is um, that from a, from a place of first tier, you often consider the other phase, a, a different phase to be wrong um, and, and yours to be right. Um, and what happens when you shift to teal, which is considered second tier, um, is that you are much more able to kind of pick and choose the phase, the evolutionary phase that you want to be most influenced by, depending on what is needed for that situation. And you, you hold a view that none are wrong um, and that actually that all have their place within a certain balance. The, the challenge of these um, evolution phases is that if you get too much of any one of them, it can be damaging. Um, so, for example, in green, you know, too much community focus in, in the context of a business, too much community focus and your business sort of grinds to a halt because you, it's, it really is fundamentally very difficult to make a decision. And that can prevent growth, it, you know, it can prevent success um, within the business. So too much of any phase can be really damaging. And teal is a place, you know, the, the theory says that you can't progress, you, you can't jump a phase, right? So you can't go straight from orange to teal, or you can't go straight from red to green. <laughs> like I'm talking traffic lights a little bit now. 
Um, but um, the point is, so you, you can't skip a phase. You, you have to have experienced that phase to, to then be able to move on to the next. Um, and so, and, and the idea of teal is then that you can see the value in all and you can sort of, I guess, play with all of the influences that each phase brings for the greater good, you know, for, for the pursuit of purpose, um, you know, rather than the pursuit of yourself or the, you know, the pursuit exclusively of a team, you know. It's, it's working towards, I guess, something bigger than, than you or those around you. Okay. So, and so, so that's the guiding light for Teal is purpose. Is that having a sense um, of that's, I would say that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Just make immediately ask, okay, so what's post purpose? What, yeah. There must well, be. there are, I mean, there, yeah. So um, in Frederick Leloux's book, he described this next phase as Teal. When you actually dig into it a little bit more with spiral dynamics, um, there is um, three colours that are identified as being second tier, yellow, turquoise and coral. Um, so, you know, people are starting to chart, okay, so what comes after purpose? What, you know, what comes after teal? Um, and, you know, I think to a certain extent turquoise, but, but coral most definitely, you know, is real uncharted territory and, you know, and, and research is happening to, to, to look at what's next. But, you know, hold your horses, Richard, yeah, because the majority of us aren't even at Teal yet. So <laughs> what's beyond that, you know, might be a few decades or, yeah, century or two down the line. <laughs> okay. And, and back to holacracy, you're saying it, people, people may use it differently or the extent to which they use it may change depending on this 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 the phase that they're in according to depending on the phase that they're in um depending on the culture of the organization and depending on to you know to what extent they take holacracy as an as an invitation to um to to self-develop you know to to do that introspective work um right. which which from my perspective is is crucially important mm. and um well, maybe we should come back to that, but what actually, because I think that's, that's interesting in terms of your own, your own work. Um, but finally, just on the book, there was this, this idea that um, Brian cites this paradox, right? When, and I'll just read it here. When you have a system that distributes authority and honors the autonomy of all of its parts and players, you also get a system capable of acting more as a cohesive, integrated whole at the same time which I think flows in the face of what a lot of people might intrinsically think about this self-management idea that somehow the, the cohesion gets dissipated by, by distributing all of this authority and, and it all becomes a bit of an amorphous mess. And actually you need the central power to, to, um, to keep the whole um, and to avoid entropy, right? So what's, the, what's, your, what's your take on that? I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I think it's just something that we're not really used to. So, you know, within the context of business, you know, we're coming out of the industrial, uh, well, we're long out of the industrial age, but, you know, our, our organisations are still generally structured as they were to fit a sort of industrial age where there is one person in control, you know, com sort of commanding what gets done, how it gets done, when it gets done, etc. And that suited us 
um, you know, decades ago. And in an information age, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily suit us anymore. That's not necessarily the best model. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think businesses, um, we, we, you know, there's, there's a certain context um, of a business that makes it hard to sort of understand how that could be true that you know with this increased autonomy and every role having full autonomy over their role that there is more cohesion you know we're, we're just not used to that in the context of business but actually we are used to it in other areas of life it's just a question of seeing um, and understanding how a business could possibly function like this um, and I probably shouldn't use this example, right? I'm not a biologist, okay? I'm, I'm not a scientist, but, but, but the, the um, analogy that I sometimes point to is the human body. And I might have got this from Brian, actually. I think he might have referenced it in the book. Um, that, you know, with it, within our body, every cell has its purpose. And every cell knows exactly what its purpose is. And every cell can um, enact its purpose however it sees fit with the overall intention to keep us alive. And there is no one um, function, there, there is no one entity within our bodies that, that controls all of that. You know, there are so many things happening within our bodies simultaneously to keep us alive. If they all had to check in with with one thing that said, yes, you can do that, or, you know, no, no, don't do that yet, then, then we, wouldn't, we wouldn't survive. There's too much going on simultaneously for that to work. Um, so, so there's a number of um, examples where, or, you know, autonomy towards a shared goal does do exactly what Brian's saying there. I just, I think that within business, we're not used to that because you know the, the current sort of hierarchical method has been around for so long it's almost become our unconscious way of organizing um, within business and I think I think what's happening now and I see it you know year on year on year I think the consciousness is growing around this you know four or five years ago even it you know this the hierarchy the hierarchy was even more un, of an unconscious way of doing things. And, and, and I certainly have evidence that um, increasingly we're becoming aware of the hierarchy the, the, and the pros and cons and aware of the fact that actually there's an alternative. Right. Yeah. So it's... Um part of the reason that we find that or at least i find that difficult maybe others do is that is that it's it's in, so ingrained in us from the from so the history ingrained. of how we've organized well i suppose you think about it i mean it's it's how we organized um companies it's how we organized families often you know that it's, yeah. it's 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 just a very familiar structure for us as, as, as yeah. groups of human beings isn't it yeah um but when i think about even if you look at the, the, the huge companies today that are successful, like a, a Facebook or a Twitter, these these companies with a high degree, I mean, obviously they're decentralized in many ways, but they're still a, a, a very powerful central core. Um, and I, what I see is happening is that actually we're starting to, uh, this, this had me think that we're starting to see the limits of, 
the effectiveness of central control. Because if you look at Facebook and, and the challenges it now has in trying to manage bias um, and trying to keep um, keep cohesive in terms of the central mission of connecting people, um, but yet we've got these biases creeping in and these seemingly arbitrary decisions to to kick one person off the platform for doing this, but somebody seemed to do something very similar here and didn't get kicked off. And it's starting to feel a bit less cohesive as a as an entity. And I I wonder what will happen as these sort of blockchain-enabled social networks, which are far more decentralized, whether they will be emer- they will emerge as actually more cohesive um, and actually better able to fulfill on a central mission um or fulfill on something that's meaningful to people because of the nature of how they're structured um that 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 maybe we may start to see this be being borne out in um yeah and there's 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 two things really at play here for me and, and and one is our conscious evolution which i think is is really moving forward right now and the other one is the influence of technology um, and, and those two, and that the progression of those two, to a certain extent, you could argue, go hand in hand. But, you know, we're going through such an incredible time of change that um, organisations are having to adapt. And it's, you know, it's because of this change that, that we are adapting. And, 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 yeah, it's interesting to sort of reference that kind of like, you know, social networking and, you know, and the whole like blockchain and how that is going to influence how our businesses organise and, and how just organisations generally organise because, you know, this could tip over into impacting, you know, politics, legal industry. Like there's, I, I, I think we, we clearly don't know the full extent of where this is going. Right. But yeah, that's a good point you bring to it here that these things emerge in concert. We're seeing this this shift in in technology and, and a move to peer to peer and decentralization at the technology technological level and, and perhaps hand in hand we're going to see an evolution of organizational structure. Yeah. Um, and in fact we've already you know to be and we've already seen this to some extent, like website, you know, the open source victories right of you know, yeah. apache web server right which is totally decentralized open source yeah um displaced all the commercial offerings wikipedia displaced yeah. encarta right so yeah i think we've seen some examples of it and yeah i suspect we'll see more yeah i'm sure yeah okay before we wrap up i thought because you brought it up and and i know i've heard you mention this before as well is that part of what we're we're thinking about here is, you know, these external structures and how we organize groups and so on, but you also bring it back to the individual and our agency and this, this shift. And so could you talk a bit more about your personal development, your journey? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been really interested in self-development. That's something, um, you know, it's, it's a practice that I made a sort of a real conscious step. It was probably about 12, 13 years ago now um, to to sort of um, to really bring that into my life. And um, on a, you know, on a personal level, that's made that made a huge difference to my life. And as, as a leader at Flight Centre, that had a huge influence on on who I was as, as a leader and, and who I was as a human being. Um, I think, you know, part of my decision to leave Flight Centre when I did 
was because I wanted to make space to do a lot more self-development and and I wanted that to to become even more of a central part of my life um and yeah it's 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 had a huge impact just just bringing awareness to um things that trigger me um things that are sort of, sort of a script if you like a background script of things that are influencing decisions that I make or how I behave how I interact with others um and yeah so it's probably as as, as big a part of my life as it's ever been um to the extent that I then became I became certified with the creative consciousness coaching academy what a mouthful that is um and and you know and and very much sort of introducing that into my offering as a as a self-management coach as well because i i do see that um uh you know reinventing organizations and the whole concept of teal i think it's really exciting i think it's by and large been really positive for for businesses and the sort of the painting of a picture of, of what could be um, but my concern and, and my ongoing concern is that that is perceived to be an external thing. That if you do X, Y, Z, if you introduce ABC into your business, then you become teal. And 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 for me, it's just not. Um, and and you know what spiral dynamics very much points to. Um, and I guess what I you know what I was doing with the the work um, with the, with creative consciousness is just really looking internally um and and i think you know yeah okay you know we're in an information age right now and 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 you know technology is taking us places that we could never imagine but i think the most important thing about this time is what's happening for us with our own conscious awareness of of who we are as human beings and how our previous um, or not even previous, you know, how, how our sort of, um, you know, mental models, values, etc. what problems they, they might be causing. You know, if you look at global warming as, as an example, you know, we, we need to start doing things differently. And the only ways that we can really find solutions to that is if we start thinking differently. You know, we can't apply the same thinking and think that we're going to solve problems that were created by that same thinking we have to shift our thinking in order to really move forward and and that for me is why this kind of inner work is so important like as as a leader within businesses and then also like globally um as well right so then just just to recap that so you, you for you it's about finding triggers uncovering old scripts or scripts that that, that run you and that those are my words so what what practices have you used to go to work on some of this well there's loads um or is there one that you found particularly i would say so i i think mindfulness is is probably the most valuable practice um that i've used it sort of mindfulness seemed to have because my my podcast that you mentioned um before um was you know the the main inquiry of the podcast is who do you truly want to be in the world and mindfulness without really intending this mindfulness was just a thread that ran through every episode and every person that i spoke to um for me what mindfulness does is that it enables me to kind of 
zoom out. I was going to say slow down, and that's 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 the wrong way to say it. What mindfulness does for me is it enables me to zoom out um, and look at the world. <laughs> um, I guess with a you know at a, at a broader level than you know the the eyes <laughs> that I have. You know, it, it enables me to. Um, I guess from that place of like zooming out, I'm better able to listen into the wisdom in my body. I think we're very sort of cognitively driven. You know, we, we place a lot of value on our thoughts and our, and our minds. Um, but there's increasing scientific research to show that, you know, the, the power and the intelligence of our hearts and our guts as well. Um, and so, you know, mind, mindfulness is a way for me of, of sort of zooming out and, and I guess bringing into balance, you know, my, my mind and my thoughts, balancing that with, you know, with my heart and my gut instinct on things and also providing space for me to, to notice, um, to, to notice patterns, to, um, I could get really, I could get really lost into this inquiry if I'm not careful. Um, but yeah, just just a way to sort of to to zoom out and notice. I think that's what I want to say. Yeah, because it enables me to zoom out and and notice a lot more. Mm. And and from that place of noticing, you know, my values have shifted to a certain extent. My behaviours have, like, have definitely like, shifted. Like what? Yeah. So what? What? How have your values changed? Um, well, I definitely recognize that, um, I was in a very orange, you know, the orange was my internal, um, you know, my sort of most dominant internal phase through my flight center career. And remind people, what does that mean? So orange, um, sort of relatively individualistic, you know, it's the sort of, I guess, sort of a little bit capitalist sort of idea where, um, you know, you can you can set a goal and um, you should be rewarded or you are rewarded for success um, towards a specific goal. Um, and, you know, I mean, what, what's important to say around spiral dynamics is that that none of these phases are right or wrong. And, and as you progress through each phase, you still contain that phase within you. So there might be a situation whereby that um, value set is actually the most useful and relevant for you. Well, Orange Sally comes to the fore. <laughs> Orange Sally might come to the fore. Um, in the same way that green, you know, on another day or in another situation, green might be the most. The, the, the way I see it nowadays is that they're all a little bit more blended and that, that, you know, there's no one that's necessarily more dominant than the other, but they, you know, they're sort of balanced um, in how I try and live my life i guess but i you know i'm not <laughs> um you know i'm not the oracle here i'm not i you know i don't claim to be gandhi this isn't this isn't some holier than thou you know i still have um you know i'm still sort of pulled by different phases at different times um, but yours is it that your center of gravity has shifted a bit would you say or yeah, center of gravity is has shifted. Yeah, that's that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, and more towards. So, you, if you were more orange, where, where do you find yourself more now? It sounds strange, isn't it, for people who listen? 
Um, I'd like to think that I incorporate a number of the phases. I, I definitely see how orange is an influencer in my life and green is also an influencer in my life. And so I suppose, uh, you know, a value, you know, the, the sort of the, the value shift um, at the end of all this, like one of my values is abundance. And, you know, the idea that actually, you know, me having abundance in my life should not mean that there is not abundance in the lives of those around me. You know, so that that's an example of where the orange and green influences kind of work together and have sort of, you know, spat out for me this this new value that I, you know, that I, and, I, and I'm still playing with this, right? I'm still... I'm still learning. I still do a lot of self-development practices and I'm still integrating. And, and I'm sure I've got no doubt that there's going to be loads more insights and, and lessons around this. But that, that, that's one of the, one of the ways is, um, yeah, this value of abundance. And for me, that's, there is as much orange as there is green um, uh, significance to that value. Okay. Okay. So there's a there's the the go getter and the and the nurturer of community. Yeah, it's sort of saying, well, why why can there not be both? You know, why does me having abundance mean that anyone else shouldn't? And 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 how can I um, how can I influence abundance of others in my pursuit of abundance within myself? Right. And that pursuit of abundance. So what does that, so in t- just in terms of people making sense of this on a day-to-day like routine, what does that, what does that mean in concrete terms for you? What, I don't know. <laughs> do you do, do you do anything in pursuit? Of- they, no, I don't know. I don't know whether it has a, a, a sort of a daily, I don't think it's as simple as that. Um, I think it's, I think it's more just about um, having, you know, holding that as a value um, that I, that I want to sort of explore and consider. And and I suppose to a certain extent, this comes down to sort of thoughts and, and beliefs, right? I've done quite a lot of work on identifying my thoughts because, because thoughts aren't real right like you know i i don't control my thoughts you know thought, thoughts just happen my my mind generates thoughts and i'm not in control of that except that i can be and that that's one of the practices of mindfulness is sort of looking at the thoughts that are generated not taking them as to to be fact um and sort of playing with how you can control thoughts and ideas and having that as a practice can really influence what you do and how you are and, and the things that you sort of manifest and, and create in your life. So, so that would be a, a sort of a more day-to-day practice that I have is, is, is one of noticing my thoughts, using mindfulness to kind of to zoom out to come into my body 
um and then and then also playing like playing with thoughts so you know if i have a negative thought like oh um you know this project that i'm that i'm working on is just you know it's just it's it's not going well it's it's you know i, th I think it's going to be really it's going to end up really badly you know for sure um you know that's that's a thought this is sort of imposter syndrome type stuff yeah we 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 all have um at times these these sort of thoughts and ideas but they're not real um and so you know if i have a thought like that is just sort of first of all noticing it because if you don't notice it you know you could end up self-sabotaging or you know that that could end up coming true just because it's a thought that's running that you're not aware of that is influencing your behavior so the first thing is to notice and then the next thing is to change it and to just sort of consciously say this project is going really well this you know this this project is going to be an absolute success now the reality is neither one is true like both exist in the future <laughs> and the future hasn't happened yet so so you know neither one is true but the positive thought is cer certainly serves me better um, in terms of um, you know influencing my my mood my capacity um, so yeah I don't know how that necessarily relates back to abundance but I but I think that that um that noticing and and that comes from a practice of mindfulness that's been probably the most um positively influencing factor for me mm. yeah that chimes with something uh so a, a coach i know very good leadership coach who um she's actually a partner within first human who sponsors this podcast but she talks about this idea of leadership as as a creative act and I think when she talks about that, she talks about this, this idea of, of what you think and what you declare as being an act of creation in, in, within the context of leadership. And it, it sounds a bit like that's what you're saying here. It's like you can almost, you could create a future where this project is successful or you can create a future where this project is, is, is a failure. And it's like both can be true and we can choose to create in the face of not knowing. Yeah really yeah um, yeah for sure i mean create creation is a is another level of this and that sort of tips into like law of attraction um type of stuff um i prefer to call it like law of resonance um and you know the you know the idea that you attract what you are you know that you you attract what you put out into the world so you know yes quite possibly um you know by changing your thoughts you are going to change the outcome of the project but at the very least you know, the more positive thought is going to serve you better in this moment. So regardless of whether you believe that, you know, by, by changing those thoughts, you're actually going to change um, the, the, the reality in the future. For, for me, that doesn't really matter. You know, what, what serves you in this moment um, is, is as important and, and as beneficial. Hmm. And it reminds me a bit of Musk, Elon Musk, when he talks about, you know, my vision is to die on mars just not on impact it's like that's in some senses it's purely creative isn't it it's like i'm just gonna throw this out here mm. and um and and let's see where it re to use your language, you know where it resonates what what that provokes in my world mm. uh, yeah i like that 
Yeah, there's a number of um, sort of practices that you can do around this, which um, which largely, I mean, it's it's stuff that I sort of learned about for a number of years, but has been really kind of solidified through the the um, courses that I've done at Creative Consciousness. Um, and you know the you know the power of the word you know ma- making a speech act cha- you know noticing the context that you've put onto something and then consciously changing that context and seeing what happens as a result um this this kind of stuff is um invaluable for for me for my own self development practices um and now like i said it also plays a big part of the of the insights coaching that that i do with leaders right okay well, I know you. I'm two minutes over your hard stop. <laughs> it's not good enough, Richard. <laughs> Shocking. Um, so yeah, I'm a, some, some, I'm very grateful for the time. Um, it's, it's been fantastic, but I wouldn't want to obviously want want to leave people without um, them knowing more about where they can find out more. So where's it best because we've touched on teal we've touched on holacracy we've touched on uh you know the, the, the creative consciousness where 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 would you send people who want who want to know more um yeah well all of those things i mean all of those areas of of, of sort of conscious evolution spiral dynamics you know teal holacracy self-management um i mean are you looking for sort of is there One a particular link or maybe there are some really cool um resources online um i can i can send you a bunch if you want to yeah, you know yeah. some links into the show notes because we're like we've covered off quite a vast range of subjects um and I, and I don't think there is sort of one go-to place um that I can point people to, but yeah, I can, I can certainly send a number of kind of intro videos, um, into each area that, that may well be useful. Mm. And for you personally? Yeah. For me personally, people can contact me directly. Um, I'm at sallymccutcheon.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, yeah. So yeah, people can reach out to me directly if they're interested. Okay. Uh, and in 10 words before we close out, I know we're over, but I, can't, I must ask you, what does it, being human mean to you? Being human means, um, being human means being in a constant journey of self-development, um, learning and growth. Awesome. How many words in that do you count? <laughs> might have gone over (laughs) good enough for me great okay thank you i had a lot of fun thank you yeah me too (laughs) enjoy the rest of your your day uh yeah thanks again see you thank you Bye. bye the being human podcast was brought to you by first human for more on first humans human focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.